Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us today. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. We have Mary Reed with us today. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for, for joining us. What a delight to have you have you spend a little bit of time with us and and tell us what you've been up to. We were talking before we started recording about how we both have a background in healthcare mm-hmm. and all of the synchronicities that we have on the old business model front before we got into woo-woo. Yeah, it's amazing how many lives we can have within a life, isn't it? It is, yes. Good point. And I, and I always think that we come in to explore things and people think, okay, we have this main script and that's where we're going to explore and not necessarily lots of scripts in one lifetime of things to explore. Yeah. And, and there's no limit. There's no limit. Actually, explore is one of my favorite words. I think our whole, the whole point of it is just our exploration of all that we can be, all that we can experience, all there is, all that we are. I agree. Absolutely. Okay, everybody, let me tell you a little bit about Mary. For more than two decades, modern mystic Mary Reed has viewed our world through the lens of profound mystical events with none other than Jesus, Buddha, and other masters. I mean, let's just cut to the chase, Mary. Let's just go right to the to the really influential ones here. The incredible details of these events inspire new understandings of the painful past we're outgrowing, the healing present we're already in, and the breathtaking future we will soon claim in our freedom from fear and strife. That's a tall order, my dear, coming in. So you call yourself a mystic. What's that mean to you? Um, I love that question. I love when people ask that question because there's an assumption that people know what a mystic is. And I think lots of people have different definitions of that. Um, first, I should clarify that I don't have any kind of spiritual background. I wasn't raised religious. I was agnostic before all of this mystical stuff began. And uh, all of all of my experiences and anything that I can talk about only come from direct engagements, these, these things that started happening uncontrollably more than 20 years ago, which is a direct um, embodied engagement with divine realms or divine beings. And so for me, that's what mysticism is, is the direct relationship with divine information or divine realms or divine beings. Um, I understand that some people, for some, it's mysticism is the the search for that or the exploration of that. But for me, as a mystic, it is the living embodiment of that connection. Well, and I think it's something to call yourself a mystic because 
in my world, mystic is in the Bible and it's, you know, saints and all these historic figures. So I love the term modern mystic. And and I don't think most people know what a mystic is, especially within the context of how religions talk about mystics. Yes, I think uh, I don't have a background in religions, but I think most of them think about mysticism as the search for deeper understanding or connection. Um, but you know, I can just talk about my own experiences, which is the direct embodied that, which is why my first book is called Unwitting Mystic. I didn't mean to be a mystic. I didn't even know the term mystic until about ten years into these experiences. And, and it was a therapist who said, so you realize that the, you're talking uh, in the way that mystics talk. I'm like, what is a mystic? What does that mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your your unlikely journey to becoming a mystic. Um, okay. Well, I haven't told this in so long. It's so nice to talk about this. Um, so back when I was normal, um, and healthcare and clinical research uh, in respiratory medicine in you know the late nineties two thousand. Um, you know I had a very normal life. All I ever wanted to do was just help people and be kind and that sort of thing. And I had a lot of opportunities to do both of those things in my work in clinical research. And while I had this very big job in clinical research in the summer of two thousand, I started hearing a voice, and. It was like this very deep vibration within me that rose up very much sort of like Barry White's bass voice, like this, this beautiful vibration. And it said, you're supposed to be doing something very important, which, of course, I already thought I was. And so I'm like, I don't know what that is, but all right. And I tried to ignore it, but it just kept coming and it kept coming and it kept coming. And every single time it would say the exact same thing. And it would happen at random moments, like when I'm on a call or in the car or in an elevator or whatever. So I kept trying to ignore it. And the, the more I tried to ignore it, the more persistent and pronounced it got. And then there were just a series of events that unfolded uh, that finally led me after six months of that to realizing that I really needed to try to get some help and understand this. And so I called a psychotherapist friend of mine in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was living in DC at the time. And I said, look, I'm having this strange thing going on. I don't understand. And she's like, oh, no problem. We'll just put you under hypnosis for a little bit. And we'll see if we can dive into that and see what's happening. So that's what I did. I went on a weekend. I flew down there and the first thing that happened um, in going under hypnosis was I went right into the body and being of Jesus on the cross at the moment of crucifixion. And then I spent three and a half hours in that scene, just like learning suddenly in an instant, all of this information in one fell swoop about humanity's evolution, everything that led up to that. And uh, the paradigm of how humanity operates, like it was massive and completely out of the blue. I had no connection to any religious information or teachings or Jesus or anything at all. And uh, so then the next day, uh, we went back in to hypnotherapy again. And in that one, I went and met my soul group and had this meeting with what turned out to be Moses about the conflict nature of our world and 
all of this. And it was just sort of piggybacking on everything that had happened the day before that in the crucifixion. So I started out with these two huge experiences. And then I had to fly back to my office in DC and be normal. And as you might imagine, it was just like, that is really wonky. So uh, I really had a great deal of struggle um, because I was living in two very discordant worlds. One was this normal world that by comparison is so complicated and so cruel and so confusing and uh, just constant effort. And it just felt like a lot of strife. And these other worlds where the information was so easy and so accessible and so compassionate and loving and and I couldn't balance these two worlds. And then I started having these mystical experiences just randomly on my own in lots and lots of different iterations, going into different realms, meeting different beings. And the information just kept piling up and piling up. And I'm like, what? What do I do with all of this? What does one do with all of that really profound information? So in my normal world, I started trying to get help with that. So I went to therapist after therapist after therapist after therapist, and then Reiki practitioners and shamans and allopathic doctors, and then back to the therapist. And nobody could help me. Remember, this is 23 years ago before I even understood what the word consciousness meant um, relative to this kind of thing. And uh, none of the therapists had the resources or the skills to help someone like me to understand why is this happening? How is this happening? And most of all, what do I do with all of this? I don't have a religious background, so I don't have a language framework to put things in. I don't have a community to talk to about it. Um, I couldn't get any help at all. So the first 10 years of this journey were massively confusing. And then uh, right around the 10th year of it, all of my normal world just completely crashed. All of the successes of my normalcy, my job, my home, my money, my family, my relationship, everything just crashed. It was like the eggs just dropped. And there was no way to put any of that normalcy back together. And all the while, this spiritual stuff is just continuing and pushing and pushing. And so that ended up um, flipping my world completely upside down. It ended up in a very serious suicide attempt um, in December uh, 2011. And uh, I took 97 prescription pain and sleeping pills with three glasses of wine. I said my prayers. And I just laid down and thought that that was it. And then two days later, I just woke up. I just woke up uh, on my own. I was very sick. I had no ability to control my motor skills, but I was alive. Um, but I still woke up into the same two worlds that I went to sleep in. And it was finally then, March 26th, 2011, that I finally just quit. I quit any idea of being normal. I quit trying to fix anything, to figure anything out. And I surrendered in the most supreme way possible. And I remember sitting on the end of my couch and saying, you know, God, you can see I have no idea what I'm doing. If there's something that you all need me to do, that very important thing that I'm supposed to do, then you're gonna have to lead the way. I can't be the project manager for my life anymore. 
And in that beautifully, deeply, authentically surrendered state, all the doors just started flying open one by one by one. And suddenly there was this whole mystical journey unfolding. And strangely enough, within six months of that suicide attempt, first of all, I was perfectly fine. And second of all, I was invited to India to speak with a high Tibetan Lama about my experiences. He recommended I stay. I ended up moving to a nunnery, a Buddhist nunnery in the Himalayas in India. Now, I've worked a lot around the world, and India was always at the bottom of the places that I had any interest in going because I thought it was too spiritually woo-woo, and I didn't want anything to do with that. But in my surrendered state, that's exactly where I ended up, and it was it was home from the moment that I put my foot down there. It was wonderful. So from there, I was seven years in that nunnery, and then uh, I moved back to the States just a year before the pandemic hit. And here I am, still in the States now. So it was a slow, slow, slow transition. And then once the once the journey, the mystical journey finally was allowed, it really accelerated. And so it's been a pretty easy, relatively speaking, pretty easy path since that surrender. Fascinating, i.e. the shaved head, right? The, is that where you first did that in <laughs> India? No, actually. No? Uh, no, this has been such a great unexpected lesson, this shaped head. So when my life crashed uh, and my money went away, I, you know, I lived a very executive life. Um, I liked my highlights and my frequent haircuts. And uh, so I was in the shower one day, my hair was getting long and messy and I needed a haircut and couldn't afford it and the highlights. And I'm like, I literally had this thought, you know, it would be so much easier if I could just shave all this off and not have to worry about it. And then I'm like, well, I'm a grown woman. I can shave my head if I want. So I got out of the shower. I got my dog clippers and I shaved my head. And the moment I shaved it all, and then I looked up in the mirror and I'm like, oh, oh what have I done? What have I done? And immediately, <clears throat> immediately I got that that was a lesson in self-acceptance. Okay, so now who am I in the world like this? If I'm not this perky, blonde highlights executive, but I'm this. Now, how, what happens here? How do I, how do I look at my self-acceptance? And then I went to CVS to pick something up. And when I walked in the door, I immediately saw people react differently to me. People, first of all, thought I was sick. So there was a little bit of pity. And then people who could see beyond that and think, oh, I don't think she's sick. I think she's rebellious. And then there would be a little bit of, you know, that whole. So suddenly it was a lesson in my relationship to other people. Right. And how I am. What am I with people's reactions to me? Right. Here again, the self-acceptance. Right. So it's just layered, layered with these lessons. And then. Shortly after that was my suicide attempt. And then six months later, I ended up living in a nunnery where all the women shaped their head. And then we could all, as women, have the conversation about what it is to be a woman without all the beauty standards, right? Really stripped naked in some ways. And to talk about who we are in the world in a very raw kind of way. And I only got there because... I just happened to have shaved my head one on a whim one time. And so I've kept it shaved ever since. It's just a simpler way of life. Fascinating. Back to your first hypnotism 
experience, you got some serious divine downloads. I call those divine downloads when you get (laughs) that coming in. I'm interested in the dichotomy and interested in your thoughts about you you, you show up in experiencing Jesus on the cross and then your next set and all the horror that went along with that from a human perspective. And then you go into all the love and compassion and all of the wonderful things about humanity. I think that's a really interesting dichotomy that that was what you pulled in. And that was the first thing that you saw. And then you went into, okay, here's the real story. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so in the in the crucifixion event, it was really fascinating because actually I saw love from a very, very different angle. I saw it from a deeply pure Christ consciousness perspective. And so, uh, first of all, I was in the body of Jesus before he died. <clears throat> so I was feeling his emotions and he was having such deep compassion for all that led up to that moment, and particularly compassion for the people who had caused the event in the moment. That was who he had the deepest compassion for because he knew that at some point they're gonna realize the impact of their actions and they're gonna have enormous pain. And so he was feeling that there wasn't even anything to forgive. So it's not like there was forgiveness. He just had this pure, deep compassion for all that led up to that day. But also when the body of the the being of Jesus dies, and I then have the near-death experience of Jesus, I'm literally pulled up out of the body and I'm hovering above the body. And now I can see and become everybody in the crowd. So I I can feel the emotions of everyone who's like filled with grief and rage and anger and uh, sorrow and all, like I can feel it all instantly. But also I can see so clearly that there is a thread that's connecting every single heart there all the way back from the beginning of our suffering and all the way into current day humans. And the source of that thread, that thread was a thread of sorrow. The source of that sorrow was our deeply held belief that we are separate from this thing that we call God. And I saw it with such exquisite love, understanding the nature of our suffering through the hearts of every being from the Christ consciousness perspective. So there was love throughout all of it. I understood, I watched the momentum of all of the conflict and uh, the domination mindset that led to the crucifixion and the decision of humanity to continue on in that mindset because collectively humanity hadn't made a different choice yet. They still wanted a Christ that conquered, not a Christ that healed. So we continued on in this sort of conquering mindset in the name of Christ, um, not realizing what we were doing, not and all of that through this really loving lens. So even though it was a devastating um, event, I saw it through the lens of love. So it was... And that's how all of my experiences happen. All of them, they all are seen through the lens of love, even if it's a really tragic event. 
I see it from the divine perspective and I see all the lessons that are coming out of it, all of the innocence at the core of it, because, you know, we don't, you know, the forgive them for they know not what they do. Yes, exactly. Well, and that's what I hear from spirit all the time is that all spirits are pure love. Yes. That's the bottom line. And people say, well, well, how can that be? How could this horrific thing have happened to my child or my loved one or whomever? And I say, it's not for us in our human minds to understand all of the nuances of it. Just go to, is it feasible that this is benefiting them in some way, this experience and their soul journey throughout all of their lifetimes? Right. I don't think we're supposed to understand all of this stuff in our human capacity. We're here to have the human experience and have spirit guide us in the human experience. And then that's how our spirit expands. I I think that, uh, well, if I could just add to that, I think that what the awakening is, the the sort of spiritual awakening that's happening is that we're we're beginning to embody that divine perspective of all of it so that we because humanity has finally made the decision, the choice to wake up and to go to a more compassionate way of life so that we can finally see that we don't have to wait until, you know, we're dead to understand all of the lessons, but to begin to see them from the divine perspective through our human iteration. Because as we do that, we begin to react differently to all of the world's circumstances and to our own circumstances, which is how we heal them, which is how we don't continue the momentum of that same mindset. We heal that mindset. And then some other momentum is allowed to to, um, take its place. Yeah. Well said. Interestingly enough, too, when you experience Jesus's spirit, evacuating his body and looking down and staying attached, but looking down. that That's what I see in my mind's eye. I work with many families who have a loved one who's dying. And I see that the spirit separates from the body and hangs on to the top of the head as mm. they're transitioning. Mm. So that correlates with what I've seen thousands of times. And, and interestingly enough, there's lots and lots of research out there from near-death experiences to um gosh the what happens when somebody's dying and talking to spirits that corroborate all of that as well can anybody be a mystic can anybody communicate with spirit oh i think uh i think most people communicate and don't realize that they're doing it anytime that you have this moment that something beautiful comes out of you and you're like where did that come from i think mu- musicians are you know ha- channeling that mystical connection um, I think if we if we just change the word mystic to connected, right? Can anybody be connected? Yeah. And you can be in that divine flow, right? There's it's not that everybody has to be this sort of full-bodied like I am in all of these various ways, but I think there's gradations of ways that we're connected that people experience, artists all the time, performers all the time, doctors all the time, right? There's things that you you sort of yield and this other confidence comes in or um, this movement happens through you, right? That sometimes it's a word, sometimes it's a flow of any kind, right? Well, and to your point about the doctors, I am an inventor of surgical devices sold throughout the world and spent a lot of time in actually in surgery and also scan a lot of people 
remotely that are in surgery. And then I'm in touch with their family as well. They're in the operating room. And there are always surgeon spirits that are over the head of the actual spirit of the actual surgeons. And those spirits are advising those surgeons. So I could, I could see it when I'd scan a surgery situation when I was in the actual operating room. And then I do it remotely all the time now. And it's interesting, depending on how complicated the surgery is, how many surgeon spirits are there. Sometimes I'll see two or three. Oh, interesting. Kind of like a group mm-hmm. effort that's advising the the surgical team, mm-hmm. if you will, that's performing the operation. Do well, you, you think- know, my guess is, uh, my guess is if you were to, you know, look around like a mother's comforting a child, right? Uh, Whether it's in a hospital setting or, you know, just an emotional moment or whatever, that you'd probably have the same kind of caretaking or nurturing energy or assistance, divine um, presence there. You know, there's all these kinds of ways that 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 caretaking and that love and that that help is happening anytime that we're in a relationship of love. Right, a relationship of service, right? I agree. Well, and I teach people how to communicate with spirit. And I say, we all come in with the ability and it's more of a remembering than a learning from scratch. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. Yeah, because everything is already within us. We've just, you know, put all of this layers of forgetting on top of that. So it's, I say all the time in my teachings, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm telling you what you can remember. Right. This is I'm just connecting you to things within you in your remembrance. That's why there's a resonance because you already know it within you. Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think we forget? Well, I don't think that we meant to in the very beginning. I think that there was uh, an orientation. I speak in in ways of in in sort of two terms, uh, separation, ideology or consciousness that which has forgotten or believes that it's separate from its source, right? And unit of consciousness, that which remembers or connects to source. And in the separation ideology, a separation ideology is always based in fear. That's how we got there. And if you think about the nature of fear, fear does not unite. Fear is not one that says, oh, come to me. Fear is one that recoils. Right. So in our fear based ideology, whatever, we've done this and we just went right into a recoiling mindset, a a non uniting mindset, a separation mindset. And in so doing, we just disconnected from that which we knew. Right. And then we built this whole reality uh, that believes we're this separate um, entity, the separate, separate identity. And this is what is. That veil is thinning, right? As this remembrance comes through, we remember more and more and more. And we begin to have a different relationship with that fear so that we're not identified so much with that fear as bringing the fear along in the awakening process so that we can remember and still honor the fear because we're not going to reject any part of it now, which is what we've been doing, right? We're letting fear know what it is to unite with love. And that's never been something that we've done. Ever. 
Well, and what I teach is that most fear is irrational. 99.9% of it's irrational. We're hardwired for fear as humans, and we need to be so that we can survive and live the human experience. But when we figure out that this is an irrational fear, this isn't going to hurt us or kill us, then we can move forward and we create out of knowing what we don't want. It helps us create what we do want. Mm -hmm. So I find that it's helpful to be able to feel the fear and then figure out, is this a real fear? Is this a fake fear? Mm. And when it's a fake fear, a lot of the time you laugh because we'll say, oh my God, no, I'm not going to die if I'm 10 minutes late for an appointment. Although it feels like it because our bodies have gone into fight or flight. And I, what I believe is that and what I've witnessed and teach is there are techniques to keep us out of that so that we can move forward. And each experience expands our spirit. Because we don't really get it until we experience it. Right. I like to use the analogy of learning to drive. You can watch a movie. You can ride in a car with somebody else driving. You can read a book. But until you're behind that steering wheel, you don't really get it. That's and I believe right. that that's our soul's path too. Because we really get it when we experience it. That's right. And certainly you have as well yeah. with everything that you've been through on your journey. What, I wanna, if I could just uh, say something about um, the relationship to fear, um, because I really, I teach about embrace of fear and because we have a history of trying to overcome or reject or conquer our fear, which is just self, it's a form of self-rejection. Fear is a part of us. It's a part of our nature, a part of our experience. So we're just keep trying to reject that thing that's never gone away, right? It's never gone away. So that's not working. Um, so I teach about the difference between embracing and indulging. I mean, that we can embrace our fear and bring it along on the journey, um, but that's not making it be responsible for our journey. And that's the indulging. When we indulge our fear and let fear make the decision for us, right? I use this example of uh, where I used to live in the Himalayas, about an hour down the mountain range, was where they had the World Paragliding Championships. And the way that that works is that you're up on this beautiful peak and you've got an Indian guy strapped to your back and he's got a parachute strapped to his back and the two of you take off running and you just leap off a cliff. Now, we can be afraid. We can, we can have that nervous exhilaration, but we're still going on that journey. We're still leaping off in nervous exhilaration going, woohoo, still trusting the journey. That's embracing our fear. Yes, I'm afraid and I'm going to go. I'm going to take the leap. But indulging our fear is the thing that won't let us run off the cliff. It's the thing that holds us in place and says, no, it's not safe to go. And now we've made fear make the decision for us. Right? So there's the difference between embracing our fear, saying, yep, I see you, still going. And yep, I see you. And now you're going to be responsible for my course here. Right. Those are two very different things. And we're used to the first. We're conditioned into the first in all of these ways that we, we don't even realize. We're conditioned it from the time that we're born into a fear based reality that tells us to indulge the ideologies of fear, which lead to division and conflict and the need to protect and safety and all those sorts of things. And prudence is very different than fear. Right? We can be prudent in, in the ways of our life, but we don't need to be afraid. We don't have to have we don't have to indulge the ideologies of fear in order to be okay in our life. 
Well, and I take it a step further in that when we're in fear, we're in fight or flight and the body doesn't know the difference between a real fear and a perceived fear that's that's false. And so we lose clarity because from a physiological standpoint, the blood drains from our brain, it goes to our heart and our extremities so we can run away from whatever the threat is, even if it's being late for a meeting. And that's the threat that's very different from being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. But, right. but I always say, don't make a decision when you're in fear, unless it's something that's going to harm you or kill you, mm-hmm. because you're not thinking clearly. And and I find that fear really, being in that fight or flight with fear really has the ability to skew our rational thinking and our clear thinking. Yeah, so, it definitely does. When you think about it, it it's the base, fear is the basis of our sense of shame our sense of unworthiness, our sense of inadequacy, right? Those are all rooted in fear. I fear that I'm not enough. I fear that I'm too small. I fear that I'm not worthy of this. I feel, right? It's in the mindset. We And we grow up in all of these systems that in, enforce that. Again, like education, we fear that we're not enough because we're not achieving enough, right? So there's like, it's just, I mean, that's just a, a simple example, we have all of these expectations of the ways that we're supposed to be, and we fear that we're not living up to them, right? To the world's standards. So it's insidious in our in our way of being, right? It's it's far less overt than people realize. And when we begin to just settle into a calmer coming out of the mind and into a calmer state, we begin to see all the ways that fear is threaded you know, through the ways of our being and through our decisions and our, why we do what we do in the way that we do it, right? My hair is a very good example. We were talking about my hair, right? Um, I, I don't have a fear of what people think anymore because I had the opportunity to look at all the fears that were associated with that, right? All of these fears about what will people think? What if this doesn't happen because people are put off or whatever? Like, you get to examine all the ways that fear is making the decisions for us, right? It's sort of taking us by the hand and making us think fearfully about all of these things. And we're coming into a time where we have a different relationship with fear that we can say to fear, you know, darling, you've worked so hard. Let's let something else take over now. What happens if we let love lead for a while? Let's just, let's just see what it's like, right? Everything begins to soften, right? Well, I think a great example of that in today's world is fewer and fewer people are turning into the news to watch oh, all that on TV. And it's all about fear. It's if they can scare you enough, they're going to have more eyeballs watching the show. And the more eyeballs, the more ads, ad dollars that come in because they can charge more for the ads. It's all about the dollar. It's all about yep. the revenue generated. Yeah, fear sells. Yeah. And the old saying is, if it bleeds, it leads. You don't hear a lot of good stuff on the news, or maybe they'll have one story and they'll say, okay, our good feeling story for the night is. But more and more people are turning away from that because it just doesn't serve a purpose to stay in that sense of fear all the time for people who understand that, oh my gosh, this is really what they're doing. They want me to be scared. So I'll watch thinking I can do something about what they're telling me, even though it's on the other side of the world. 
And it's all about the ad dollars. Mm-hmm. Or that I should do something. There's so exactly. many kids in there. But right. it's not, just, it's not just, just the news. You know, it built into our storytelling paradigm. Every movie requires a conflict arc. Have you ever heard of Cozy Earth Bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic, and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing, they've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth bedding. I love them and so will you. Every movie requires a conflict arc. A conflict is that thing that causes tension. There's a fear of this happening or that, you know, here comes the bad guy. Here comes this bad issue. Where's the guy? This is the conquering mentality. That conflict arc is required in books and movies to create that tension. So we're just conditioned into it and it's our entertainment, right? We're entertained by drama in the news or drama in, uh, you know, the storytelling paradigms, even in a song, right? It's just threaded through all of this kind of stuff, it's threaded through religion, right? The moral things that you're supposed to do, right? We're afraid that we're not going to be enough. Or we're not going to earn our way into heaven. <laughs> yeah, good points. Speaking of that, the sayings were made in the image and likeness of God and that we're all a spark of the divine. What do those mean to you or do they mean anything to you? Well, um, there can't be anything else. Uh, like if we are not expressions of God, then what are we? Right? If there's anything other than God, then there can't be God. There's a God that can only do this, and then what's the rest? Right? So it's in my experiences, in my 23 years of these various kinds of experiences, it's all God. And uh, you know, when like let's take for example when we pray for something and we want a new job right god is the supply god is the new job god is the supplier of the new job and god is the supplied too right it's just god 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 there's no difference so we the expressions of god we are the god in um existence Right. And I, I talk about this in both my books, Unwitting Mystic and Humanity's Epic Awakening. I talk about this as going into the very first moment of existence with the impulse of God. The first impulse is simply a movement of God seeking to be all that it is. So everything in, the, in existence, everything that we're aware of is God being aware of all there is to be aware of. Right. In, in my experience, God has a cherishing nature as well. So my experience of God is, and, and of all life and all of us, is God seeking to be aware of and cherish all there is to be aware of and cherish. And we're an expression of that. 
which is why when people have a near-death experience and they have that exquisitely blissful experience of God, they're feeling the cherishing nature of God. That is us. I've heard that we're all a fractal of the divine and that in our fractal, everything holographic is in that little piece of the source. And I thought that was an interesting analogy as well for our human minds trying to understand this, which is, you know, my gosh, people throughout history have been trying to understand this stuff and interpret it. And I believe they will till the end of time. But I thought that the fractal was an interesting analogy. Well, the way that I, the thing that can come closest to my experience is you might imagine, uh, you know, um, a prism, right? A three-dimensional prism that's radiating, right? The light from within that is radiating. So at all points along that radiance is God in its various forms. So the closer you get to the, to the prism, the more pure and uh, high vibration. And then it just goes out and out and out into all of these different iterations, expressions of God, uh, parts of God, right? And and I speak about that in a way that our language can afford, but it's actually multidimensional. It's so much more nuanced and subtle and complex than that. Um, but there's nothing outside of God, and it's all some expression of God. I just heard um, a near-death experience report yesterday, and this woman was saying, um, you know, I, I when I, she was in this, these other realms, she was saying, and there's the, the couch cushion is love, you know, God is love, love, love is the couch cushion. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Interesting analogy, analogy. I haven't heard that one before. But it's interesting that you were talking about a prism because when I think of a fractal of God, that's exactly how I picture it. Um, it's like a prism with all those colors. Yeah. I, I never thought about it before until you just said it, but that's how I always picture it. It's yeah. just, a, just like a, a prism that's refracting all of that, all of those colors of the rainbow and even some that we didn't even know existed. Yeah, just in brilliant colors. This is how it's so complicated to talk about these things because we have a limited range of ways that we can understand and speak about it. But when I see energy, <clears throat> like in an immersive experience, it's very much like looking into a kaleidoscope. You know, a kaleidoscope that has, but it's multidimensional, right? It's not just a single screen here it's multi-dimensional and so there are all these things affecting all these things and if you you change one thing everything changes right so it's a very beautiful kaleidoscopic experience that's playing out in all of these fascinating wondrous dimensions right far more dimensions than we understand or can talk about and no lsd involved <clears throat> I've never had a drug in my life. No, Me no. neither. Me neither. No. But people always say, that sounds like an ayahuasca trip or something. I know, yeah. And I'll say, yeah, but just learn how to do this stuff. Remember when you're learning and you don't need to take any any kind of drugs or anything to do that because it's possible just by getting in touch with spirit 
and remembering how to do that. You quote a spiritual teacher named Russia, who Mm -hmm. says, the God within all life does not seek to be placed on a pedestal, but hopes to be discovered as the source of one's own essence. Please elaborate. Um, Well, I think that quote um, that you're quoting from the introduction of my latest book, and I love that book. This is uh, the book Oneness by Rasha, which is one of my favorites because it's a channeled um, work. And it's basically just a narration of what's happening from an energetic, mostly an energetic standpoint um, for the awakening. And it's beautiful. But we're talking about in that section that you've just quoted from is about that we're not separate from God, right? That the separation um, view of God is very different than the unitive view of God, that God is a thing to be known. This is what we're doing is realizing the God within. Jesus said, Christ is within, the kingdom is within, everything is within, this is what we are. And uh, so that's what, you know, Rasha is very elegant in her, eloquent in her phrasing. And I really love the way that she, she phrased that, that it's not a God to be put on a pedestal. On the contrary, that, that makes it a separation ideology. We've always related to God as an other. And that's the basis of, remember I said, I saw that thread of sorrow stretching throughout every heart, every human heart throughout history has that source of that thread of sorrow. And the source of it is our deeply held belief that we're separate from our source, from our very own divine nature. We believe that we're not that. And so we speak about it as an other. We've related to it as an other. We've we've written about it as an other. We've been conditioned. It's very, very hard to break that um, that conditioned relationship to it as an other, to really realize it, that we're the expression of it, right? This is the whole thing is that we're, the awakening is coming into ever more of our realization of all that we are, all of the godness that's going on as us or through us. What do you say to people who hear you or are just starting to explore some of this and and they say, okay, that's just a bunch of hooey. That's a bunch of nonsense okay. or even blasphemous. How do you how do you respond to people that do you even encounter people that feel that way? Or very, very rarely. Yeah. And if you do, what's your response to them? I rarely, I don't remember the last time that somebody said that's a bunch of hooey. Actually, I do remember one time. Um I had given a, uh, <laughs> my very first retreat, I had been invited to be the guest of honor at a three-day retreat. And this woman brought her 88-year-old mother and they were required to read my book, uh, Unwitting Mystic, my first book. And I gave a talk the first morning of the retreat. And at the end of the talk, I asked if anybody had any questions and this 88-year-old raises her hand and she said, my daughter made me come here. And my daughter made me read your book. And as I was reading it, I said, that's a bunch of hooey. But now that I've heard you speak, I want to know when is your next book? And oh, my God. <laughs> I love that. So uh, it's been a while since somebody said that. But uh, what I would say to those people is that's OK. I don't I don't ask you to believe it's an invitation into my own experiences. I'm sharing my the truth of my experiences and the stories that they reveal or the realities that they reveal or the capabilities that they reveal 
And if it's if it's not your cup of tea, that's fine. Leave your blessing on it. That's totally fine and go about your way. I love you right where you are. You may love me right where I am or judge me. I don't care. It's perfectly fine. I don't need you to validate the experience. I'm just offering it as a perspective and you may do as you wish. If it And invariably, if that happens, I'm absolutely confident that there will come a time where they go, oh, I get it. I get it now. Yeah, I'm sure I, I, that you probably have, have had this yourself. I myself, if I had heard these things 30 years ago, I would have thought, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. I don't even understand what that's what's happening. You hear this from a lot of spiritual teachers, right? Suzanne Giesman has said that. Paul Selig has said that. I'm sure that you've probably experienced it as well. People talking about these things and you're like, that makes no sense. And now it's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, people have, I, very. it's very rare that I have somebody say this. And I think that we attract the people that are like-minded that want to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah. But every once in a while throughout the years, I've had somebody say, well, you, I, I'm a skeptic. You have to prove this to me. Yeah, and I'll say, well, 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 really, I don't. If you want to talk about this, fine. If you want to talk about football or <laughs> menu, the menu or the weather or whatever, I'm happy to talk to you about whatever. And then I find that they'll come back and they'll say, no, no, I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on it. But I, I just don't believe that we can talk to spirit. And I'll say, well, do you pray? And they'll say, of course I pray. I'll say, great. To whom are you praying? Jesus, Virgin Mary, God, whomever, saint. I'll say, great. So do you get answers when you pray? Are you talking to that Jesus or the Virgin Mary or whomever? And they'll say, yeah. I do. And I'll say, okay. So when you're talking with Jesus, does that mean Jesus is sitting next to you on the couch in your living room and you can see him and you can touch him? And well, no, I said, oh, you're talking to a spirit and you can just see the light bulbs going off, you know, in their heads. And they'll say, uh, but it's not the same thing. I'll say, oh, but it is. And then it's just a different perspective of them looking at the equation of Okay, I've been taught to do this, but I've been raised perhaps in a religion where I can't do it directly. I've got to go through a preacher or a priest or a monk or that's right. Somebody like a mediator, that. right? That's right. Yeah. Right. So I think that's that's always interesting too. But I wanted to see if you ran into that much and what your your response. No, but was. you know, look, I live in Washington, DC, and it's a pretty liberal. I, I live on the edge in a very funky, cool um neighborhood and uh, it's a pretty, you know, liberal thinking kind of crowd. And they'll be like, whatever, if that's your jam, that's your jam. Yeah. <laughs> I don't right. really have much of that around here. Right. And people are not going to be looking at my YouTube or my books or things like that if they're not really, you know, looking for mystical wisdom. Right. They're they're usually people that are looking for, for what I'm talking about. Exactly. What Although do you mean? I will say on an airplane, <clears throat> I will say that, I travel a lot and uh, when I'm on an airplane and I don't, I'm just tired and I really want to rest or I want to work and somebody, the person next to me says, what do you do? The moment that I say I'm a mystic wisdom guide, that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> they don't usually know what they have to say after that. They're like, oh, lovely. Well, enjoy your, your travels. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Oh my gosh. What do you mean by consensus? <clears throat> oh, that is the... Um, <laughs> this is little group that I channel. Uh, so I should mention that, you know, as I said earlier, 
my journey started in these very big embodied um, experiences going into divine realms with divine beings. And that continued on for 20 years. And then three years ago, two weeks into the pandemic, while I was in a meditation session with my, my friend and co-teacher in Australia, all of a sudden, <clears throat> I was being uh, told to yield and I could feel something going like this in my throat. And in came this huge stadium filled collective of divine beings. And they, when I experienced them, uh, it's like the, all of these beings in the, in the stadium and then a tuning fork is hit. And there's like this collective vibration that goes out and then there's a harmonizing that happens. And then that main vibration is then what I narrate. That's what comes out. And so I said to them, what should I call you? Like, what, what do you want to be called? And they said, you may call us consensus. And they said, that's not to be confused with finding the lowest common denominator and calling that a consensus. On the contrary, it's the highest note that's possible in any given moment. So I narrate the highest note of wisdom that they want to share or information that they want to impart in any given moment. So that's what consensus is. And every time that I channel, I channel every week with my private community. I channel in consultations with people individually. Um, and I'm getting ready to do my first live channeling workshop up in Pennsylvania in June. And um, <clears throat> well, I forgot, oh, every time that I do that, it's a different composition of beings in the stadium. Because they always say, we're only here for what's happening in the moment. And in that moment, it may be different light beings that are needed. So there's always some composition of masters and archangels and various light beings. Sometimes people see their relatives in there. And yeah, it's always changes. And they're a very lively, jovial, happy bunch. They're really um, extraordinarily, as you might imagine, exquisitely loving. And full of joy. Full of joy. Full yeah. of joy. Yeah. yeah. They're very lighthearted and they really, that's very much a, a key aspect of their teachings is to remind us to lighten up, you know, that this doesn't have to be so damn heavy, right? We always make it such a burden, this, this spiritual journey of having to trudge through everything. And they're like, you, this is, this can be so fun, right? The, the spiritual journey and life itself has a lot of, um, playfulness just inherent in it in our own nature right god is very playful you can be quite ornery actually i agree i've had people over the years say to me you're so flippant about all of this spiritual stuff and i'll say well well spirit is pure joy pure love we're supposed to have fun when we're involved with it and and it's it's just a joyful experience. Even if I'm talking to somebody who's really sick and I'm doing a, a energetic healing, spirit working through me and with me to help facilitate healing, I'll say everything can be healed. And sometimes death is the healing. Mm -hmm. That's right. But it's all done with joy and it doesn't need to be this morose, depressive thing when we're working with spirit it it never is when i'm working with spirit ever yeah. in any situation yeah well you um, don't hear you know in near-death experiences you don't hear people coming back and saying man they were all so 
weighty and serious and arguing and all that, you know, that was, they never talk about that. They say, oh man, it was so light and joyous and loving, right? That's our nature. Good yeah. point. We're the serious people over here. Yes, I, I just, I did a channeling the other day and somebody asked about what the soul was and I was talking, oh, they asked why, why we keep coming back as humans if our soul is complete. And I said, and in the channeling, they said, who told you a soul was complete? The soul is here to learn and have fun and uh, you know, explore. And the soul is the fun one. <laughs> it's the one that comes down here to just like, see what all can be gotten into, right? Well, and I hear that so often from spirit is that we see things as good or bad, right or wrong, horrific or wonderful. And they just see it as an experience and they see everything as fun. And we think, whoa, how's that work? How could that be fun if somebody's suffering? Well, because they don't judge it. They just see it as an experience and we create out of every experience. When we know we don't want, it helps us create what we do want. I always tell people, Mary, when you don't have any feelings that that feel bad, you're dead because <laughs> that's how we create. You know, you're dead when you, you know, when you have, when you have only joyful feelings because that helps us expand. Yeah. If, but you know, also from the divine perspective, they have a greater context. Right. We're seeing it in just our little individual experience, right? And but they're they have the greater context of all that's being set in motion or all that's been in motion that is now expressed and now opportunity for healing, and all the ways that it's impacting everybody who's interconnected with that, not just in this moment, but in the future and everything that's going to play out, all the directions that are taken as a result of that experience. And so in all of that, it's a service to love in this way. It may seem like a really um, extraordinarily painful experience to love or service to love in this way to, from this particular perspective. From the greater perspective, there's so many other things um, happening as a result of it or at the same time as it that have a completely different impact. Well, and I think most people can attest to having experienced something that was perhaps awful in the moment or for a period of time. And then they look back at it and they say, okay, well, this is how it benefited me. I'm glad yes. that happened, even though it wasn't fun going through it. It was right. awful going through it, but it's well, it's benefited me in this way or benefited yeah. somebody else. I mean, I speak from a lot of experience of devastation, right? And the, the pain of like that led to a suicide attempt. and. Well, uh, I would never want to do it that way again. It definitely, you know, it was the catalyst too. And it was a necessary catalyst because I had tried every way except the ultimate surrender, right? I had tried every other option and it wasn't getting me to where I needed to go. And so while we can look back on those situations, they're not always going to be things that were like, oh, I can see the fun in that. It's I can see the benefit of it, but I will never want to do that way again. Right. If I have to choose how to come back next time, I'm not going to choose that. <laughs> I know now that I don't want to do that kind of that level of devastation. Been there, done that. One and done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Check. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Done. Exactly. You say healing comes from within. What do you mean by that? Um, you know, all of life is an experience of self-expression all of life. And where do we experience pain, but within us? Where do we experience any healing, but within us? It cannot happen anywhere else, but from within. And uh, I 
see healing very much in energy, right? So I, I see all healing as a changing of our energetic field, right? Untangling the, the points or the places that is a, a painful tangle or a knot or a constriction or an obstacle or a block or whatever. And that everything is happening in that energetic field within us, right? And as we're doing this, that is what we're, I mentioned earlier that kaleidoscope, right? That it affects everything. That's our contribution then to the collective field that we're in, right? So everything is coming from within each of us and our projection out, this rippling out that we're doing then is then going to change our world, what we're manifesting as a projection of all of this that's inside. So healing is always an inside job. And the direct route to the healing is when we go inside and we connect, we connect with our divine presence and let that healing happen uh, far beyond the mind so that the mind doesn't have to sort through all of the details and figure everything out. And that's the effort. That's what consensus calls the path of effort. And that's how we've been trying to do it. And this is the path of ease that when we go in and we connect, everything just does the work for us, right? We're carried uh, in that rising tide within that we didn't have to do. Everything gets to sort of feel that connection and expansion and the healing inherent in that. Well, along those lines, I tell everyone with whom I work who is asking for a medical intuitive scan and energetic healing that nobody heals anybody else. We only heal, we all heal ourselves. No doctor, no medical provider, no shaman, no healer. I'm not going to do it. We're facilitating that person healing themselves. And and I use the example a lot of at the end of a surgery, the doctor's going to close the incision with sutures and staples. Well, the doctor doesn't make the patient's skin grow back. The patient makes their own skin grow back. Yes. And much like this, that's how we heal. So healings can integrate instantly. They can take days, weeks, months. They may need some kind of complementary care, like change in diet, physical therapy, whatever. But certainly it's always our spirit's prerogative to utilize a healing in a way that's going to best facilitate whatever it is our spirit's exploring at this time. Yeah. And, and along the lines of bypassing the conscious mind, I completely agree with you because especially in medical energetic healings, I see the healings and they they come to me in symbols. Like I may say, okay, your elbow looks like a bowl of whipped cream or something crazy like that. But what it does is we're bypassing the conscious mind going, oh, this can never work. How does this work? Whatever. And we're going into the subconscious. And I have so many people say, oh, I love your analogies. You explain it better than any doctor has ever explained it. And that is honest to God how it comes into my head. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing different visuals and describing it sometimes based on things that the patient that the client or the patient will uh they they will uh understand easily for instance i was talking with somebody who was a race car driver recently and i was talking about their lymph fluid and i was talking about that imagine that there was a coating of what looks like fat from broth on top of the oil and we were, in, these analogies are coming into my head and I'm thinking, I don't know about motor oil. Yeah. yeah I yeah. know that my car needs it, but I don't know what motor oil looks yeah. like. 
you know, if it has stuff on it. So oftentimes I'll get analogies with not only healings, but also other information for the person with whom I'm working that will pertain exactly to what their frame of reference is so that they can understand it. Now, just as a person who can do that, isn't that fun? Like, oh, the, like so to fun. me, that's such a part of the joy of this kind of work that we do. It's funny to call it work, but uh, this kind of thing that we have, it's like you could never dream that up, right? It's just coming through in this beautiful information. And as it's happening, I'm sure the same is happening. It's like, that's fascinating. <laughs> that's really cool. I love when that, when those, the story is being told or the wisdom is being conveyed in all of these different ways, whether it's a narration, whether it's an image, and I love when the imagery comes through, that it's the perfect thing that's perfect in that moment for this person or this teaching or whatever. I love when that happens. I love it. Well, and it appeals to my inventor brain. So if I'm working with somebody and I'm seeing something new that I haven't seen before, before, which I do all the time, I'll say, oh, that's cool. I haven't seen this before. And then it's like I'm seeing a new type of a healing and then I'll see it with other people from there on. So I'm reaching into a different healing modality. Great example was early on, I would see if somebody needed a new liver or a kidney or something, I'd see an OR scene, what I was used to. I'd see the donor patient. I'd see the organ get harvested from the donor patient. I'd watch the diseased organ get removed from the patient who was getting the new kidney, let's say. I don't see that anymore. Now, fast forward, everything's generated with stem cell energy. Well, when I was seeing that organ transplant with the donor patient, nobody had ever heard of stem cells before. So it's interesting to me how the analogies are coming in and the symbolisms coming in based on my frame of reference for what's happening so that I can understand it and I can interpret it. And like you, I would imagine people say to me, well, doesn't this wear you out? And I say, no, it has the exact opposite effect on me. It energizes me. I'm jazzed at the end of a show or I'm jazzed at the end of the day after I've talked to multiple clients because it's that high vibration of spirit working yeah. through me and with me. 100%. Yeah. 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 When, uh, you know, I used to be, before I began channeling, the only way that I knew I was, I, I, it's always been weird for me to say that I'm a teacher. I mean, I, I am a teacher, but I teach only from experience. I don't have any, I have an online degree, <laughs> like online, uh, but I could only teach through telling the stories of my experiences until I started channeling. And when I, there's such a difference in like, I would go and give a a workshop or a talk or whatever. And when I would have to do that through organizing it and telling my story and remembering all of the details, I was exhausted afterwards. But when I do something that's a channeling, I'm so high. I'm really stoned afterwards because it's just been this flush of good stuff coming through. It's the same kind of information that's conveyed and one's a personal experience story and then the other's a narration coming from the divine perspective. But my feeling about it is very, very different. I'm always deliciously high after channeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how can somebody connect with the divine? Uh, is it Does it require meditation? Somebody who's never tried to do this, how do you recommend that they just connect? And then they start to experience what you and I have talked about for the past hour. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think everybody's different. And meditation can be such an intimidating word, but it is very helpful 
to stop the noise. Because when you think about, you have to be available to the connection, right? So if you're in your thoughts and there's constant things going and that's what you're listening to and paying attention to, it's like you've got headphones on and you're listening to those thoughts. So you're not available to something else, some other perception, right? So there is great value in finding ways, whatever works for you, to be quiet. And I have several things that I recommend to people. One of the simplest um, meditations that I find newbies really like, there's a meditation called, it's a seven-minute visual and auditory meditation called the Great Bell Chant. And it's this beautiful, the imagery is really, it's, it's the cinematography is gorgeous. It's like a seven minute meditative movie, basically, with a chant and there's a narration by Thich Nhat Hanh. It's, it's really, it's like a beginner's paradise for meditation. It can just calm all of the senses. So you find things that can get your system acclimated to calming, and then you can just do some exploring. Uh, you know, I have a I have a teaching called Meditation Made Easy that's got you know tips. It's not it's not how to meditate, but how to get everything ready to meditate. Right, just your whole ideas about meditation shifting. And then you know when you're ready, you'll find just explore the resources online that you know different YouTube channels or uh, different sounds that begin to. Uh, uh, calm you or uh, mantras that calm you. Everybody's different. So I don't want to give just one way. My best guidance is to explore what feels good for you, for your system, and then research a little bit more, play with all of the options. And, you know, when when th- when you start settling down, then all of the right resources will start coming to you. It'll be the next video that's recommended on YouTube or some new teacher comes and then it's, but you have to start in a way that um, doesn't feel overwhelming. Otherwise you're not going to do it, but it's the most important thing. And I speak from a lot of experience. Um, When I finally went from being a healthcare executive, trying to figure out how to meditate and whatever. And I was so frustrated with all of that to going to India, to living in the Himalayas, being silent, worlds apart, everything shifted. So I know deeply, intimately, the value of quieting everything. And then the flood of perspectives and information and healing available once you do. So start with, you know, the easy stuff. And uh, when you're ready, the right resources will begin to come into your awareness. But that's the most important thing. Be available to the connection. And in the spur of the moment, when you need a quick answer, you just ask aloud or in your head, is it in my best interest to whatever, dot, 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 fill in the blank, you're going to get an answer. It's going to come in as fast as you can snap your fingers. If it feels neutral or good, go with it. If it feels bad, figure out, is it a real fear or a fake fear? Yeah. If you don't have time to meditate. I think that um, we're at a time right now, we have reached a level in the collective energies where divine awareness is like hovering, like just let me in, right? Just let me in more and more. So the more that you acclimate that habit, right, of 
asking, of connecting, of waking up and saying, hey, what are the uh, what are the perspectives of my soul in this day? What's the prayer of divine presence through me in this day? May it flow through me with ease, right? Acclimating, acclimating, because we're used to having those headphones on and just paying attention to our old thoughts. So the opportunity now is to build a whole new library of accessible things that orient us towards that connection. The collective energies are ripe for that right now. So I really strongly encourage everybody to think about what are your habits of, you know, thinking or connecting, asking for that guidance or or thinking about the possibility of that connection. And just the diligence of remembering that throughout every day from the moment you wake up. Hey, what are the thoughts that are available to me from here? What's the guidance that could be coming if I've got this interview or I've got this thing, right? Again and again and again and again, and then allowing the answer, right? There are two, two parts to that formula, ask and then allow. So often we're asking, we just keep asking, we keep asking, we keep asking, and it's like pushing on a door that says pull, right? At some point you have to let the door open, right? Good point. How can people find you? They can go to lovemaryread.com. And read is R-E-E-D. R-E-E-D. Yep. Lovemaryread.com. What a delight you are. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for... It's really lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really grateful. It's you lovely to know you. Most welcome. Everybody, I'll see you next time. Sending you lots of love from Sweet Home, Alabama. Mwah! In the Washington, D.C. area where Mary is. See you soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.